our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Uh, welcome back, Mission Zero Podcast. I'm here with uh, one of my, I've known this guy for a long time, uh, Steve Abernathy. Steve and I worked together starting at Xterran uh, and then at ArchRock when ArchRock and Xterran uh, kind of spun off from one another. And uh, so I asked Steve to come out to the home studio and sit down and have a conversation with me about what he's doing now and what he's been doing. And, and uh, Steve, thanks for coming out, man. Yeah, absolutely. Looking, looked forward to it and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, before we get started, I mean, you know, I know a little bit about you. Obviously, you and I work together. We've known each other now, gosh, it's probably 10 years or more, yeah. uh, which is pretty crazy to yeah. think about, you know. And um, But just for uh, for people listening, kind of get us started. You know, I'm sure you came out of uh, came out of school and whatever you're doing, you said, man, I can't wait to be a safety guy, right? So uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me kind of how you got to where you are here uh, today. Yeah, all right. Well... Actually, when I got out of school, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Um, so, I, um, first couple of years there, I um, worked some construction, road construction, worked for the Texas Highway Department for a year on a survey crew. Uh, as I tell out, people, of, uh, out of where? Out of Waco. Oh, okay. Grew up in Waco. And just, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. So, I went and did my civil duty with the state of Texas yeah. and... You know, figured out you would starve to death if you stayed there. <laughs> that was my first round with the state of Texas. And so, not, oh, not so, that I ever went to prison or anything. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, you, so you figured out you'd starve to death and you thought, maybe it's changed. We'll yeah, go back at some yeah. point, yeah. So then I, I would actually went to work on the railroad, um, swinging, swinging iron, laying steel and ties on tie gangs, and quickly moved into supervisory role there. Some, fortunately, some guys kind of spotted me. Thought I had something there, and you know, my my whole goal was to outwork anybody there. Mm-hmm. So when it came to throwing rock out in the evenings out of the ballast cars, working weekends or whatnot, I'd always stick my hand up, mm-hmm. and that kind of got me started there. So pretty quickly, they gave me my own steel gang, ran the steel gangs and tie gangs on projects, and. At the same time, I was applying to engineer school to get a, be an engineer on the train. I thought that's what I wanted to do and did that for, kept applying and they kept rejecting. I kept applying. And finally, um, I was, got married along the way and put my wife through school. And then we were back in Waco. I'd lived in San Marcos for a while following the railroad around. And she was like, you know, this probably might not work for the long haul <laughs> because I would be gone three weeks sure. with the big gangs and all that. You had to make sure all the inventory was ready to go the next week because you had 110 men on a payroll. Right. And you, they had to be ro- working when we could work because you had to allow for train delays, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So, did you know, never got into engineer school and decided, well, I'm going to go back to school. 
and she was like, hey, let's do it. Um, we don't have any kids or anything. So that's what we did. And about the time I quit, uh, got the letter of acceptance to go to engineer school on the railroad. <laughs> we we both prayed about it and talked about it and decided, no, you know, we've set our set our direction, our compass in the, in a different way. Yeah, you know, you and you mentioned too that you know, sort of your your schedule had already kind of become a conversation piece. And yes. if you were an engineer, oh, it was uh, it would have been be a, terrible. A, sure. Yeah. yeah, you'd been on the extra board for years. Yep. Yep. And so it was a blessing, really a sure. blessing in our life that it that it happened that way. So went back to school and you know didn't know what I wanted to do. So thought I wanted to do chemistry and it's kind of a quick story on how it ends up that I actually got into nuclear technology was went and talked to the the professors and advisors in chemistry department and they like well, you've been out of school like eight years. How is that, you know, I think probably you ought to go be a plumber or an air conditioning <laughs> tech or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So I left and I was walking out dejected and ran in, bumped into this little guy. My head was down, bumped into this little man and he said, what's going on, bud? And I said, ah, you know, told him the story. They told me not to do that and go, you know, be a plumber. He said, well, tell me your story. Tell him what was going on. And he's like, no, you can do this, but you need to come to my department and be in the nuclear side. So I did. He was a great mentor. Um, called him Dr. Bill. He was had actually studied under Fermi for his PhD. Oh, wow. Yeah, really smart guy. Been in the Air Force with their nuclear programs. And yeah. So he, he, uh, he had some credentials. Yeah, 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 yeah no <laughs> doubt. And so it was a it was a good experience under him. Then left that and went to Texas Tech as a radiation safety laser manager for the um, university. Mm-hmm. Did that for about five years, and then I had forgotten you worked for Texas Tech. Yeah, and then you know I really enjoyed it. Had a had a great boss at Texas Tech. Jim Northcutt was just a fantastic leader, and just I stayed with him as far as in contact my whole till he passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal man, just a great example of a you know a person, just moral compass, just is fantastic. Such so to work under somebody like that was really good, and sure. he turned you loose to go do what you need to do and let you innovate and let you do things and try things. So. That was good, but working for the state of Texas again, it was a, you know, you you weren't going to get rich and you were going to, you know, struggle because they didn't, you know, their pay compared to industry wasn't the same. So saw an opportunity at Halliburton and they needed an RSO and actually applied for it. And at the last minute, um, they offered me the job and I t- actually turned it down and did that because my wife was like, hey, you know, I'm working still and I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying it. She was at South Plains College at Leveland. I was at um, Texas Tech, you know, in right. Lubbock. Just, just down the road. Yeah, and so we um, um, were doing that. But then about a year later, you know, we had the second, our second child, second son, and she's like, I really want to stay home. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> on a state salary with Texas right. Tech. right. I don't know how that's going to work, but we we just said, okay, let's wing it. And she said, well, I'll work part-time. You know, I'm a designer, graphic designer and illustrator and all that. So 
we sold the house in Leveland and moved back to Lubbock. And then it was just kind of a blessing about six months later, Halliburton called me back and said, Hey, you know, we talked a year ago and you turned us down, but would you be interested in coming back? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we went to Duncan, Oklahoma, and we were there for um, about nine years. But during that time, I actually transitioned, you know, I was in there a few years and I kept looking for opportunities in, in Halliburton mm-hmm. to do other things. It was so large. So I applied for a couple of operational roles in, in different areas. And finally, one of the guys that was running the overall service quality program and stuff for, for Halliburton and all the process improvement and this and that, I kept applying. He goes, well, you don't know anything. And I was like, okay. So I went and I just started getting the books and I started reading, studying, and got my boss at the time at Halliburton to let me take some other classes in quality, quality management, and just figured out what is the, what's that all about? Because mm-hmm. what am I to do? I got to change something. So I did that, and then about a year later, I went back and applied again. He said, well, what have you learned? And I told him what I'd been doing and studying and, you know, and how I'd applied that to the processes in the radiation program to mm-hmm. improve them and stuff and save the company money and, you know, showed him three or four different projects that had, where we'd literally save millions of dollars a year for the company. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you a shot. And that's what I did, and then... Started doing programs there, working with field operations and the business out there to improve the business and, you know, just kept learning and studying. And then he got promoted and promoted me to his role as, you know, over North America mm. and did some great things. We had great leadership in the company at the time with Jed DiPaolo and Zeke Zerang and some of them really innovative leaders. And, you know, they put you out there and just said, hey, here's here's my vision. This is what I want to do. Go figure something out. I want this to happen. And you got to had to go figure it out. Right. Did a lot of great things. And then they promoted me to global director of quality for Halliburton. Wow. And we did some great things there, too. We, you know, got ISO certifications all over the world with the company at the time, which were important, and put in some quality programs, reliability programs into into stuff and helped really improve a lot of the business out there and then they said well hey you've done that for two or three years why don't you come over here and run the learning and development program help us revamp that so did the did a similar thing had to learn <laughs> learn about right right that and then 2002 or so um you know they came back and said hey you've been doing this but we really need you to go take this opportunity and go to Oklahoma, go back to Oklahoma, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I can't do it. We've moved several times on my kids and Mm -hmm. we promised them they would stay in the same school and graduate from the school that they're in, the two oldest. And you were, you were in the Houston area. I was in the Houston area. I'd been promoted. We moved to Houston, um, and all that. And so, um, we prayed about it and, discerned about it for you know several weeks there and went back and turned them down and fortunately they gave me a package and mm-hmm. i took it and went and worked for myself for a couple of years uh, with for for some former executives at halliburton you know doing big projects mm-hmm. change projects and things like that just like consultant type work yeah consultant type work 
running projects. You mm-hmm. know, we'd built a call center, stood it up, and then, you know, prototyped it for a company. And then he had me take it and then scale it up in Houston for him. So we did that and built him a billing, billing center and the processes and mm-hmm. did that. But then it was just the consulting gig wasn't working for me. I really wanted to get back in a leadership kind of role. And sure. it just so happened that former executive at Halliburton, Dan Newman, had left and went to work for Hanover, called me up and said, hey, we got an opportunity over here. I really want you to come talk to the leadership group at Hanover. You know, we need some help and think you're the guy to help it. And did that and um, helped start the program there for service excellence at mm-hmm. Hanover. And then we merged with Universal Compression to form Exterin and took a role there in the new company in Exterin over global QHSC at the time. And then wasn't in that role very long when um, the president of North America at the time for Exterin, Brad Childers, was like, hey, um, I've been talking to Matusik and Brian Matusik, who's I mm-hmm. had worked for Hanover. Said we want you to come into North America and kind of help take on a more operational role, helping us improve the business and helping me drive some things that I want to get done in the business. And so took off from there, and then had a global QHSE role as well as the operational role in North America for several years there before I before we really turned that and really went solely focused on. Um, operations and that's kind of what I've been doing the last several years once we split off from exterior 2000 into 2014 going into 15 we split and took the North America assets and formed Archrock and so I've been doing operational roles there at Archrock ever since and focused you know a lot on helping us you know transition now you know and and things but you know helping change the business put in processes and systems and stuff that the organization needed to get better at what we were doing. Sure. And my current role is over transformation, strategic transformation. So it's really not just about digital transformation for us. It's really, for us, it's setting the company up for the future. Sure. You know, the, the Brad Childers, the CEO, told us several years ago as we were looking, rethinking strategy and where we're headed is, you know, if we don't change, we don't really move ourselves and transform ourselves, you know, in f- five to seven years, we, we'll be obsolete. The world's moving fast. It's a, you know, it's a, this whole energy transition, mm-hmm. you know, and data-driven organizations, et cetera. We, we've got to figure out how we can run the business differently, you know, and, and better than we're even doing it today. And that's kind of what we've been doing the last three or four years. That's great. And when when you and I connected, you were in the the VP of QHSE yeah. role in mm-hmm. uh, in operations services. Yeah. Uh, and so I always described uh, operations services to people that were unfamiliar. I said it's all of the things that makes operations work that operations guys hate doing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so you just kind of you just do that stuff. If you were in the military, they would call you the quartermaster. I mean, you just make sure it all is there and working. Yeah. And then you improve on that. And yeah. so. One of the things that was very impactful to me uh, in my career, and, and I came into Exteron as a regional HSC manager, and so uh, you know you supported my role at the corporate level, and then I had to execute all of the the things that that you guys were um, were, were needing done. So, but what was very clear to me, and, and you were a huge impact in my career, and 
to that point, I had already had some of the some of the tendencies that you describe, where you're getting into a role and you're looking for ways to improve that, and you're looking for ways to not necessarily change what's happening, but say, hey, some, there's some inefficiency here. You can do it this way or that way differently, or you know, hey, there's this uh, maybe even a, a technological solution to to something that someone hadn't necessarily fleshed out, and and I recognize that that's kind of what you were doing. And that's a lot of the stuff that we were doing at Xterran. And it was very interesting to me. And, and I, I learned very early on by working closely with you that if you're just a safety professional, which there's nothing wrong with that. And those, those guys are absolutely uh, critical. And the, the person carrying a clipboard and doing audits and all of that, that's important. But if that's all you are, then it's, you're going to have a real tough time with longevity uh, in the career, and especially nowadays, I think. And so uh, is that something you recognized or is that just part of your personality to constantly be looking for ways to improve things or, or you know, sort of be a change agent? Is that just part of your personality or is that something you recognized strategically as, as good for your career? You know, uh, I go back in early in my career, the railroad days, I had fantastic boss on the railroad and I had it absolute two absolutely terrible bosses on the railroad and the first boss bobby moser would he always the one of the biggest things i learned from him there's always something that can be done and there's always something that can be done better and that's the way he looked at no idle time we got to keep innovating we got to keep improving you got ways that we can get more more ties done in a day more miles of track laid in a day you got to think and keep thinking and i use that um a lot as i went forward in my career and I always was thinking of ways you could do it fixing creating things out there that would Mm -hmm. move more rock faster out of the laborers way so they could you know do what they were doing faster and it really was kind of a little bit in my DNA Mm -hmm. and so I continued doing that everywhere I went when I was at tech you know I got the very first um, low-level radioactive waste disposal using the sewage system and stuff that was rules that were created mm-hmm. in the state of Texas back in the 80s. Went through a lot of work to make that happen. You know, I couldn't do a, one of these dispersion calculations today, but you had to go through all that. But You could probably find it on Google. <laughs> right, but it saved us tons of money sure. to be able to do that. And then similarly, um, at Halliburton, we, you know, it was like... How do we improve? But the one thing that I began to learn when I really got it moving toward the quality management piece was really about the leadership aspect of HSC and really about culture mm-hmm. and human behavior and really studying that because it I realized it doesn't matter how much you stick in there and you try to make an organization change by just changing process or saying you got to comply, mm-hmm. you want to change hearts. You want to convince the organization why they need to do that. You need to surround them with process and surround them with good tools to work with and support it. But if you can't convince somebody to take ownership of it themselves, it's never going to happen. Oh, you remember when I came back into Archrock, I'd left Xterran and then uh, got laid off like all good people in the oil and gas industry do. Yeah. Uh, and I came back in and it was right during the transition of Xterran to Archrock. And I came back in in a sales role. Yeah. Uh, and um, that was the first time I realized just how challenging sales actually is and was like, man, I, 
I don't necessarily want to do this as a profession. I can do it, but I don't want to. But I realized uh, going in, my wife asked me, she says, uh, are, are you nervous about going into sales? And I was like, no. And she said, why not? And I said, it doesn't I've been doing HSE for 15 years or whatever at that point. I said, that's a sales role. I said, I've got to go out into the field and convince a guy uh, that I, I might know a better way to do that. And, oh, by the way, I've never done that. And he's been doing it longer than I might even be alive. Yeah. And I've got to convince that guy to listen to me? Come on. That's a sales job. And uh, and so uh, it's interesting you, you put it that way. You're changing hearts and you're changing minds. And the only way you do that is to help them understand I'm not I'm not your adversary here. I'm I'm an advocate for you. That's I right. want I want you to be successful yeah. and and uh, so so tell me some of the ways that you went about that when you realized okay we've got to really change hearts here and change minds. What were some of the things that stand out as as being successful for you uh, in doing that? Well, I, there's a couple of things. One, I thought there's two ways I looked at it, but one of them is I always found that you know if you want to start changing hearts and minds, find the champion, find somebody that will champion that cause. The end, I guess in the tech, the way kids do it nowadays, it's an influencer, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. If you've uh, ever met an actual influencer, yeah. they're very annoying people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but you had to find somebody that somebody trusted in the organization that you could, you could convince that, that this is a different way of thinking about things look at it differently and, put them on a pedestal and recognize them big time. So, so that's what I would do. I would find these champions, whether it was an operational change an HSE change and things and begin to, to approach that and use that tool to help. The other thing about culture change and things like that is, and it's not cliched at all, but it does start at the top of the organization. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. And I can tell you, having seen the culture evolve at Exterior and into Archrock, one of the, you know, that's probably my proudest thing, one of the most proud things in my career was seeing and being there for the longevity of seeing that culture that we nourished and evolved and how it's evolved to what it is today to where. You know, you don't have to convince people because they don't hang around and they come back because they leave and they're like, I got out of here and I'm so, they they don't care about safety at X, Y, Z and the money wasn't as important as my life. That's right. And they also realize things that they may may have thought while they were there at Arch Rock or Xterra and they may have thought, this is so stupid. Why are we having to do it this way? And they leave and they realize, oh, that's why we did it that way. And, And you're right. That's the... That's a true testament to successful culture change is people that come back. Yep. And they're your biggest champions. They're your biggest recruiters. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it, you know, and culture doesn't happen by accident. No. You have to make it purposeful and it can't be something. And this is true of transformation and transforming companies, whether it's the, the safety culture of the company or we're trying to transform truly what we're doing and how we're doing things differently. It, it doesn't matter. It's all the same principles that you got to apply to that because you mm-hmm. really got to change people's hearts. And it does have to start at the top of the organization. Once you can get that convinced, then, then it, it, it can spread, it can move, you know? And the one things that I always thought was important 
And then I picked up on this when we were when I was at Halliburton with Jed DePaulo and Zeke Zerang and them. They were didn't need any science behavior human science book to tell them they were naturally great leaders. But recognition was so important. Mm-hmm. Recognizing people, thanking people, a public recognition, especially. public recognition, yeah. and we created a. As you, you know, you were involved mm-hmm. and saw the the programs we did with X Factor mm-hmm. and the X Factor Awards and all of that, and had purposely spent time and brought these champions, found well, the champions. And resources. It was a very uh, involved thing. I mean, they, you guys brought them into a, a fantastic uh, event to yes. celebrate them and everything else. And and I remember seeing that and, and thinking, man, that's uh, th- that really is literally putting your money where your mouth is because it it took a lot of resources to do that and and it was attended by the ceo on down of the whole executive leadership that's right and and they they believed in it Mm -hmm. and you know thank god brad trusted me now the regional managers didn't get to go (laughs) yeah but what are you gonna do i guess yeah yeah. You know that he, that he trusted the the intuition that we that I had about how to make that work, and we've continued to evolve that into the now the CEO's Pinnacle Awards. And we just actually we just had the celebration of that for 2021 yesterday, and virtually did it had to do it virtually this year. You know, but it was it's uh, still a it's evolved and it's continuing to be champions. And when you hear these stories of people, whether mm-hmm. it's a service quality award or we have an impact award, or it's the safety award. You know, these great stories of literally people that are stopping the job or doing these things that are just who we are now. It's just part of the culture that if I went back and piled those stories over the years on top of each other, it's just this testament, this whole testament to how the organization's evolved. But it started with a few things, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But now it is who we are. The, the, right. That's that's our DNA now. Well, and you mentioned people that come into that, they they have a couple of different responses. That, and they'll show up and they'll either realize, oh wow, this is amazing, or they'll select themselves out because yeah. they'll they'll feel they'll feel like it's onerous or whatever, and they may return later and, like you said, be your biggest champions. Yeah. But I experienced that uh, at Wildcat where I work now. Uh, I tell people all the time, it's. Uh, you know, there's. It, I wouldn't say easy because none of it's easy. If it was, you know, everyone could do it. Yeah. But it's it's um, remarkable in that we've gone out and our management team came from big companies like you know, your Halliburtons, your Slumberjays, your BTIs, yeah. companies like that. And so these guys come in, and if I say to them, you know, hey, let's uh, let's begin an observation program. It's not, oh man, we don't want to do that. It's okay, cool. And they understand it. They already know the impact it can yeah. have. And they just jump right on board with it. And the employees that don't get on board select themselves out. Yeah. Some come back, some don't. But I think you're seeing that more and more in organizations, especially world-class organizations, that uh, really that that change isn't as difficult to achieve as it used to be. But it's still, uh, it, it's still to have lasting impact. That gets challenging. Yes. So what are some things that you've done uh, in your career to have lasting impact. And obviously now you're in more of an operational type capacity and, and less HSE, but it's same concept. You're still having to win over hearts and minds when you're changing the way someone's operationally functioned for ever. Yeah. Uh, so what are some things you're doing now to, to help kind of impact that in a, in a positive way and, and have lasting change? Well, I think one, one thing from a lasting impact is, 
you know, is teaching and kind of transferring knowledge and getting others to to grasp a different way of doing things. And I, you know, so I like to mentor, you know, some of the some of the younger people and people that work for me. I purposeful about coaching them and and helping them achieve what it is. And people that work directly for me, I always told them, I said, my job is to help you be a better you, help you be very marketable at whatever it is you want to do and to help you build the skills and knowledge you need. If I can't hold on to you and we can't hold on to great people in the company, we either have a leadership issue or a compensation issue or something, right? Mm -hmm. But that's my job then at that point, you know, if I've helped build you and you, you're great and we can't, we don't, the space isn't there for you, right? Mm-hmm. There, you, you're ready to go spread your wings. Sure. I have encouraged people to leave the organization and organizations that I've been in because I knew that they, they had capability beyond what we were there. Did I want them to stay selfishly? Absolutely. But from a personal standpoint, they needed to go because they needed to go do and take on a different leadership role, take on more responsibility. And it's, that's the way it is. You need to build people up, make more champions, build mm-hmm. people up. And, yeah. and you got And that's purposeful from a development standpoint. And so I think it, it's the same thing if you're leading the organization HSE-wise, you're going to transform. Make your leaders better HSE leaders. Right. So a lot of it was coaching the, the CEO, coaching the chief operating officer, coaching other executives in the company, you know, about how to be an HSE leader, right? And because it's not always just the rah-rah speeches, right? Right. It's the little things that they got to learn and they've got to, because they're always looking for, and this is what I would tell HSE professionals working for me, people are always looking for a chink in the armor, right? Sure. They're looking for you to kind of, roll your eyes and not didn't i didn't really see that happen right i didn't want to see that right yeah right but when you can coach them to to embrace those things and challenge those things to stop them then you're going to win and win all the time all the time and and you know i can i can speak from personal experience i remember uh at exter and i was going through a a patch where i was kind of a little bit burnt out and maybe wasn't functioning at the the level that I, i could be and I remember you were in town. You were in Dallas. We were living uh, in uh, the Fort Worth area at the time. And uh, I remember you called me and said, "Hey, let's have dinner." And uh, and you flat out asked me. You said, "What do you What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Man, I I like doing what I'm doing, but I like doing other things too." And even though I never reported directly to you, I can say you always made me feel like I had a direct line to you. Yeah. And and uh, and that was special to me, and and it meant a lot. So I. I take this opportunity to say thank you well but, uh, I, I i appreciate that but i you know i i'm again i'm purposeful about making sure other people that don't work for me that i'm helping mentor them i've got several people in the organization that i mentored today and i'm helping them try to build a better career for themselves you know and because they want to be leaders and sometimes you don't know how to be a leader <laughs> yeah well many times you don't you know many times you don't and um so, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now in terms of transforming the company. I know you've got uh, some projects and things you're you're working through, and and tell me what that means for the organization and ultimately the uh, the people the organization touch. Yeah, so we 
We have a project, a large transformation project that we've been on now for going on, I, I would say, four years when we started building the strategy in 18 and beginning to just put our toe out there and step forward. And it's called Project Edge. And there's a whole thing that the consultants came up with what EDGE stands for. But basically, it's really taking and moving the organization way forward from where we are today. So we have about six different work streams that we've worked. One was our Oracle work stream. We were on uh, the EBS on-prem platform of, of Oracle for all supply chain and EPM, mm-hmm. ERM, all that. Uh, the problem was that you know we'd been on the this platform since two thousand and three at um, at Hanover and six hundred and s- almost seven hundred customizations built in it over the decades. And anytime <laughs> you did try to update or anything, you break everything. So everything breaks. Yeah. So we have taken and launched. Over the last first couple of years, there we put all new HR platform in in the Oracle Cloud, so we got rid of all the existing platforms that were not. And just this, in January, we took live about almost three dozen modules of Oracle from cover all of our finance, all of our accounting, all of our supply chain, and new barcoding systems. All went live at one time all in Oracle Cloud, as well as, at that time in parallel, we took the Microsoft Dynamics Field Service Dynamics program for our field service and replaced the one you'd be familiar with, the PXM program, mm-hmm. PerformX Mobile, um, that, that we took with us from when we left Xterian, right. um, which we built and put out in 2010. So yeah, it was I was there tw- for that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and it was 12 years old, and it just had, you know, it's run, had technology had run its course. Sure. And so we took all that live at one time. One <laughs> huge big bang. There's a lot of story behind why we had to do that. Yeah. yeah. But, I bet there's a lot of story about what happened after that, too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and change management, for sure, well, for through sure. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been a it's been, you know, it's been rough road there going live, um, you know, in all honesty, Oracle's gone fantastic, and we've had some bumps in the road with the field service platform, mm-hmm. but it, it is functioning. Everything's works. It just don't work like we expected it to work. So we've had to dial some of it back as we get it kind of fixed and working and all that. And that's some when you're working with technologies, mm-hmm. as much work and effort and hours and hours and time we put into planning everything. There's things that the, and you know your architect forgot right 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 and it's like oh god we didn't realize this piece of it because you're moving you know hundreds of integrations between modules that you had to build as well as integrations to other outside tax systems and everything else it's a it's 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 tough um but the one thing i would say that i've collected over the last four years in my logbook, you know, you're going mm-hmm. to the meetings and you're taking notes and all that. Is I've got this whole list of lessons learned, sure, over the last four years, and it's I'm actually taking them out of the book now and recording them and really adding some color to them. I, but right now, there's over 
75 lessons learned. Oh, man. So we, we'd have to come back for a whole other podcast to discuss That would be fantastic. <laughs> what, you need to do a book, Steve's Lessons Learned. That would be a fantastic you know, book. I, I've, I've thought about that. I've talked to another guy that that's, uh, was a trans- transformation director for um, SenseCorp, which is a managing consulting firm that mm-hmm. started with us, and they later, just recently in the last year, got bought out by a larger consulting firm. But he and I have talked about potentially doing that because it's it is transformation is not project management. Let me put it that way. Right, it's not. It's on mega steroids. Yeah, when you're it's it's project that. management and everything else. And yeah. so what I, what I find interesting and in, in the way that I would think about this if I were uh, you know a safety professional listening to this is uh, safety professionals do some things really really well. And one of those things, if, if you really get down to what we do a lot of times, is uh, process. Yes. Figuring out process. Yeah. Whether the process is already functioning and you're figuring out what broke, or it's not, it doesn't exist and you're building it, or you're looking into the root cause of why something happened within an existing yeah. process, even though it didn't break, it just something happened. Uh, and, and those types of things translate, if you're good at figuring out process and you're good at figuring out out ways to build and, and manipulate process, that skill translates across an entire organization. Absolutely. And, you know, I find it interesting, you know, again, your background is, you know, it's, it's pretty extensive. I didn't realize, I didn't know you worked for the railroad, for instance, and that's cool. Uh, and I'm glad you didn't get into engineering school because who knows if I'd even gotten to meet you. But uh, you, throughout your career, you realize, man, if I can do process, yeah, there's a need for me. And there's something that I can bring to the organization, and uh, and I think that's great. So, what are some things that, uh, from a lessons learned um, perspective, what's uh, what's a couple of them that you could share with us that are just like, God, man, I, I should have known that, but I didn't, type of thing. Well, I'd say the biggest lesson learned for the whole transformation effort. Um, I'm not gonna say it's the biggest one because they're all big. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the important ones is you, the transformation has to stay in the C-suite. It has to stay there, meaning they've got to be very engaged with the transformation effort. And uh, 100% our executive team has been phenomenal and intimately involved. And to give you an idea of the C-suite owning it, when we started out, we had all these seven work streams identified you know, Oracle, replacing the mobile platforms, mm-hmm. new supply chain processes or work streams. We put, we equipped and standardized our whole, modernized our whole fleet of 4,000 compressors with telematics, standardized all the tags, Modbus maps, and I'm talking stuff that a lot of people don't know what all that means, but it it's immensely important in a transformation, especially data governance and getting mm-hmm. your data right. Right. But we spent literally as we were flushing out these strategies, the CEO would have the whole the whole executive team and he would say, I want a deep dive into telematics and how this is going to work, what we're going to do, how is this going to work? And we might do four or five hours with the executive team and then he'd be like, this wasn't enough. We, we need another session. Wow. If, if they can't own it at that level, 
and can't spend that kind of time with it, you're not going to be successful. Well, they're going to feel like they got surprised with stuff. Exactly. And, and they can, what happens also is then when they go out to communicate the transformation, they don't know it as well as one of us that are daily in it and living it. But from a communication standpoint, they can communicate, they can answer really good questions with the right answers. And that level of ownership makes you better at what you're doing. And it's going to make the organization better because they get it. And it's really taking that vision that Brad had and we're putting it down into concrete transformative actions and plans. Mm -hmm. He's got to know it. He's got to say, yes, that's fulfilling my vision or it's not, but they had to do it. And I say that because as we've gone along, we've benchmarked others that are doing transformation efforts in other companies. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, they've came and talked to us. We've talked to them and some of these other organizations, organizations much larger than us and some smaller than us, but much larger. And when I talk to them, they're like, oh, you're kidding. Your executive team is in, still involved? Oh, yeah, we have to go meet them. It was every week, then it went to every other week we spent time with them mm-hmm. for four years. Only in the last, since we went live with Oracle, have we gone to monthly. <laughs> right. But that monthly meeting is probably still pretty intense. It's pretty intense update, and it's form- formal, and it's, you know, we're accountable for it. They're accountable for it because they're accountable to the board. Absolutely. And the board's well aware of what we're doing, right? And so it's it's been, that level is important because what when when the, I see these other companies that benchmarked us, and they're like, our program's just falling apart. The C-suite went on to the next thing sure. and just said, I figured it out. And we can't get the, the organization behind it now. Well, that's because the C-suite's not behind it. Yeah, I mean, they were checking a box and not owning the transformation. You yeah. can't let go of the transformation until it's transformed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, until it happened. That's right. Yeah, you know, and, and that's so important, whether you're trying to change something. Now, obviously, you're changing things that are at the the root of the, the company. So that's a C-suite problem. But that field safety guy, that field representative that's out there, and he gets his directive from the guys in corporate saying, hey, this is what we're doing. And uh, and in my region, I was blessed with uh, with Gerald Minicky, who enjoyed being kind of the guinea pig. He liked yeah. doing that, yeah. and uh, and so we got an opportunity to constantly be doing that. But that field guy, I think it's important that he under- that that person understands also that C suite to him is that regional manager that he works sure. with, and, and that person's got to be involved. And if that person's not involved, uh, what are some tips you could give? to to that person and say here's how you get that person involved if they if they keep saying you know i don't have time for that i don't have that's what we pay you for you know that kind of thing how do you bridge that gap how do you close that uh that loop well first of all build a relationship Mm -hmm. with the person and i know that again it's cliche it's like oh god i've heard this but it's so it is important but don't build just the business relationship understand what makes the person tick how they think and what's going on with them oh you mean a genuine relationship a genuine relationship i'll I'll give you a good example like when i was at halliburton and i would had gone into this operational 
quality kind of HSC kind of role in Halliburton. And I was working with the businesses out there. Had a really tough manager um, out of, you know, the Jacksboro area, mm-hmm. D. Edwards. And he went, he'd left Halliburton years later after being promoted and helped run Boots and Coots and all that and all that. And he and I are just very dear friends and brothers now, just by different mothers. Yeah. Phenomenal guy and a great leader too. But one of the things that I did with him early on is he was in Jacksboro. I was in Duncan, Oklahoma. I said, I'm not close to one another. No. (laughs) So I said, he would come over to Duncan and finally one one day he and I are having, having words. And he said, I'll tell you what he said, why don't you come over and spend the weekend with me at my house? I'm like, okay, I'll do that. If that's what it takes. And so I went over and we're sitting there drinking a few beers. We're watching the Rangers on TV. And so he gets to talking about his business because I was telling him we really need to do change this mm-hmm. and we need to you need to be thinking differently about this or that and you know because your margins are inconsistent and without going into all kind of detail he goes well I changed you know this and I did this and I did that he goes what do you think the problem is and I looked him right in the eye we're in his house and I'm like. And you'd have to know D. He's like six five. Yeah. You know, he's just—he's <laughs> a large, a human. large human being. And I look him right in the eye, and I'm like, "You're the problem, not your team. You're the problem." And it was dead silence. Mm. He didn't say anything else. I got up. We finished watching the Rangers. Said good night. Got up the next morning. Um, left and went back. I'm like, "Oh shit." <laughs> And well, so, well, that's over with. Yeah. <laughs> I walk into my office in Duncan Monday morning at six o'clock in the morning, and D's sitting in the chair in front of my desk. Oh, fantastic. He goes, What do we need to do? I'm the problem. I've got to change. And I said, Well, I said, You got great leadership skills, you know, and great intuition, you know, but you're, you know, you're overbearing. Mm-hmm. And so we just started talking about what to do and how to do it. And, he he transformed himself, and that's how our relationship got started. But sometimes you got to be brutally honest with people. But you can't be brutally honest if you don't have a relationship first. Yeah, he and I yeah. built a relationship, you know, enough to where I felt confident that I could tell him the absolute truth. Yeah, if you if you go in there, uh, you know, spitting truth immediately yeah. with uh, without a relationship of yeah. trust, yeah, uh, man, that's a that's a recipe for a disaster yeah. for sure. Uh, I, I like to tell a story. Uh, I still talk about when I came to interview here in Houston. I was flying back in. The company I worked for uh, was based out of Canada, so I was coming back from Canada, and I was still living in um, a Midland. No, it wasn't. I was living in Tomball at the time, and I remember um, being asked, "Can you meet us at the Exterian offices, which was over in Greenspoint uh, at that time, for an interview?" I said, "Yeah." So we go and we sit down, and there were two things that struck me. One. Uh, you know, you're you're a, you're a big, gruff kind of guy, right? And and I and that was cool. Yeah. Uh, but then to hear you talk about uh, you know heart and that kind of stuff, I was like, well, that's, didn't expect that out of you. Uh, but that was cool to see. And then you asked me a question, and then I'll never forget this because it was fantastic. You said, um, 
how would you solve? Because your compression mechanics are out there by themselves all the time. You said, how would you solve uh, loan worker safety? And I sat there, and, and I'm interviewing for this job, and I'm like, man, I, I better have an answer for this. And but I didn't have one. And I remember sitting there and just I said, you know what, man, I I don't know. I said that's a really difficult thing to solve. And you you looked at me and said. That's too bad. We were hoping you could tell us. <laughs> and I started laughing and I realized, oh, I don't have to have all of the answers. I just have to be honest that I don't. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was something that always struck with struck me uh, working with you. It was just that brutal honesty. And like you said, working with, uh, with D and telling him, you know, you're the problem. Uh, but that you're right that can't happen without a, an established relationship. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's good. And I, and I, I agree. If you don't learn who these people are that you're working with, you can't change anything. You can't That's get right. anything out of That's them, right. and and they can't get anything out of you. Yeah, and if you don't know know them well enough to know where their struggles are, or any anything like that, and you know, one thing I've learned in life, and in and, you know, a lot of it obviously at work, but start by giving people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. If you start there then you're really starting at a at a more positive aspect right mm-hmm. and and i've learned to learn to do that and yeah. i'm not saying i'm good at it today because believe me a lot of times i'm right. I, I catch myself tripping over that and everything but give people you know the benefit of the doubt and one of the other things is cannot overemphasize being a lifelong learner you know, too many people get the deal, they get the management job, or they get this opportunity, and they quit learning. Mm-hmm. Be and learn something different. You know, th- that will help your career as much as anything. And if, if you're an HSC guy, an HSC professional, CSP, I mean, hey, fantastic, right? Go learn more about human behavior. Right. Go learn how the financials work in the organization. Because the more you, it, you 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 want to change hearts, right? But mm-hmm. you got to do it in a business perspective. You got to understand how the business runs, right? And that's one of the one one things I did early on was understood. You know, when I was at Halliburton, you know, I put my hand up every time. Hey, here's a business fundamentals course, blah blah blah. Hey, I'm all for I'm that. In, Let's yeah. go. And then later on, you know, after I left Halliburton, I went back. To, to school to, to learn finance, to learn accounting and all that. Not like an accountant, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I was deep enough about understanding it because you can't fix something if you don't understand how it works. Right. If you don't understand the, the purpose and function within the organization that that particular thing yeah. holds, you, you won't know how it impacts the next domino. And yeah. I remember that was very uh, clear to me when we would do our uh, workers' compensation reviews, and you would start seeing these huge reserves, yeah. and you're like, "Those are actual dollars," and those dollars translate into increased premium, which is true money coming out of the organization, yeah. and that always stuck with me. Uh, and and I've used that as a, an opportunity to have conversations with with managers even today, even in my my role today, where you're like, "Hey guys, that's fine. It, it, we heard a guy, and we have comp, and and yeah. that's all good." Um, but at some point, those uh, those chickens come to roost uh, right. too, and and that stuff's important. And it was important to see how that impacted the organization. And again, huge mentor in my career because you uh, allowed 
us to see those things and and felt like we should be included in those absolutely and so. you know it's a you know had a very blessed career and a very blessed life i'm not you know i've just been blessed with a lot of good leaders that you know were great examples and actually been blessed by some really crappy leaders that taught me how I did not want to lead. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know. So, so don't always look at a, a crappy boss as a as you know. Good gosh, how'd I draw this short straw? <laughs> you know, what a great lesson learned there that I don't want to be that person, right? Right. right. Understand what's happening there, and and right. and uh, purpose your life not to be that. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you've made a huge impact on my life, and you've been a blessing to know all of these years. And and it's been too long since we got a chance to reconnect, and yeah. this was a great opportunity oh. to do that. So, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming to the home studio. Yeah. And, and sitting and, and chatting with me and giving me a chance to kind of catch up and, and learn some new things about you. Uh, what, if you were going to say something to someone starting their career in, in HSC or in any other part of the organization, but uh, and I, I kind of know probably what you'll say, but what would you say the key to being successful uh, for that guy just starting out just as green as it gets? Stick your hand up there and say, I can do that, right? I can do that. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen the movie Holes, and I haven't seen that movie, you need to watch the movie Holes. And part of it is is where where the teacher and is and it's this relationship going on with with the, the this guy that can has farms and does things. So he rolled across this lake, and she would be like, "Well, you know, he's selling onions and fruit mm-hmm. and stuff." He'd be like be like she'd be like golly the roof's leaking in the schoolhouse and it's back in the day you know mm-hmm. old single schoolhouse when that was a real problem yeah. yeah and he'd like i can fix that and then it'd be like well, the windows are stuck and they're not working i can fix that so take on responsibility if you want to move your career be the one to to say hey i'll go work that derailment hey yep you need somebody to go dump rock i'll go dump rock because that's that's what's going to give you opportunities because a degree and all that just gets you in the door. And if, and if you want to be an eight to five person and do that, there's lots of people that like that and that's great. Mm -hmm. But if you want to move your career, you got to move yourself and that that's doing things that you might not want to do sometime, but looking for more responsibility, you got to go earn it. Yeah, I, I agree. I can't say it any better than that. So, uh, Man, I, I really, like I said, I appreciate you being in my life and uh, and you just being a part of this podcast and, and uh, continuing to be a mentor to me and, and to so many others that are going to listen to this. So, Well, hey, I, I'm, you know, just we all learn from hard knocks and stuff like that, but it, there's nothing more, more important than relationships and, you know, especially, you know, the thing that's guided my wife and I for 40, now 42 years of marriage going on is our faith. Though. Sure. And that's, you know keep your moral compass pointed in the right direction and it'll all be okay. Yeah. It'll work out. That's for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much. And, uh, and let's don't wait so long next time to have a conversation. Absolutely. My gosh, man. I agree. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the mission zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.